get the meaning behind the numbers and more. They've done such a nice job, you know, improving the roster and, and getting this great goaltending that because they're basically the rest of the Western Conference still has plenty of teams with flaws too, the opportunity is there for the Oilers to do something. And, uh, you know, I, I think when the season started, you know, people thought the Oilers could be better, you know, and improved and maybe compete for a playoff spot. I don't think anybody had them, you know, maybe challenging for the, the Pacific Division lead. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. One more time. The last episode for TSN Hockey Analytics of Season 3. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto, TSN 1200 Ottawa, on iTunes, and SoundCloud. Be sure to continue to follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. What a great year it's been. We're going to finish strong, folks. We're going to get to our terrific regulars. Travis Yost and Scott Cullen of TSN.ca. Editor-in-Chief James Myrtle of The Athletic Toronto. And we're going to take a look back at a couple of best of interviews from the year. But so much to get to. Let's kick it off right. Travis Yost, TSN.ca hockey analytics writer. Travis, one more time, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. By the way, I just want to point out, greatest sitcom of all time, Seinfeld. It, many would say it hit its stride season three and four. So I think uh, I think we are hitting our stride too now. That means we still got one more year. So that's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess I guess I didn't see the contract coming through yet. We'll see. That's that's right. Hey, as long as the checks keep clearing them, I'm fine with that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Travis, you wrote that earlier this week on TSN.ca about the Capitals, why their scoring depth is far superior compared to their previous renditions. Now. Compared to the Bruce Boudreaux era Washington Capitals, what really jumps out to you specifically uh, their five-on-five five about this year's club? Well, they're just a different team, right? So I, I, I know their fans are approaching the playoffs like, okay, here we go again. Like the first time they lose, there's going to be a ride in BC because, you know, they're you can only be bit so many times in the postseason. Right. But one of the things I would one of the things I would point out is this, this Washington team is different than almost every single Bruce Boudreaux team, which, by the way, those teams were insanely good, um, and for the better, too. Like, I think you can make the argument that this Washington Capitals team is the best team they've ever had. I mean, you can compare it maybe against the 2009 team, but other than that, like, it's one or two. And the reason is pretty simple here. Those great Washington teams of yesteryear were good at five-on-five and just had this unstoppable power play. And the issue Washington kept running into – um, there were a number of them you could pick and choose, but the, the two big ones were, you know, at five on five, they were a good, not great team. So they'd get into the playoffs, and guess what? You play a lot of good hockey teams at five on five in the playoffs. Um, so if you're net neutral there, then you need your power play to basically win you games. And we know multiple times their power plays were slowed down, and the reasons are look, you're facing better goaltending, you're not going to score as frequently as you do. Um, and there was probably some noise that worked against them too. But I mean, I think they went through a stretch in the playoffs. There was one year they were one for 33 on the power play, which Jeez. is almost unfathomable for an Alex Ovechkin-led power play. Um, this year's different. So all of those teams, by the way, let's wrap this up. At five on five, they scored about 52, 53 percent of the goals at five on five, which is insanely good. This year they're over 60 percent, which they've only done once before, and that was that 2009. They've got multiple scoring lines. The Backstrom line is one of the most productive scoring lines in the NHL. Their second line, the Burakovsky line, is also one of the most productive scoring lines in the NHL. They, I think you could easily argue that they've been the least shuffled lineup in the NHL because when you're a head coach of a team that is winning 4-2, 5-1, 4-1 every single night, it's why, why would you change the lines up? So 
they, they found a way to spread their talent out. They have two or three lines that can really score well, and, and no one, no one out there gives up any goals, partly because they're a better defensive team and partly because they have arguably the second-best goalie in the NHL, right? So yeah. they, are, they are going to be a beast in the playoffs. And, look, I, I, I don't want to be on the radio. You know, that's October say it. What the hell did you do to jinx the Capitals? I don't want to hear that. But, uh, like, I, that is not a Capitals team I would want to play in round one. Well, Travis, the problem, though, with the Capitals previously, again, has been their secondary scoring, right? We know Ovi's fine. You mentioned the power play troubles. But the secondary scoring has been the issue. Do you see that being taken care of on this playoff run? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, you've got two guys on your second line that, are gonna, that have a real shot at breaking the 50-point threshold which is pretty darn impressive in the modern era NHL where not a lot of guys score all that much. And the, the, the whole reason why I think they're productive, one, it's because they're talented, but the reason why they're also productive is, look, you can't match up your best guys against Washington's second line because the Ovechkin-Bastrom combination is just going to go to town on you. So what happens is those, you know, the tough, tough lines in the NHL, whether it's Bergeron or whatever checking line you want to come up with or whatever line you think is your best defensive trio – they will always get matched up against the Ovechkin line, which makes total sense. But guess what? Both of those guys have to come off the ice at some point. And then Washington's second line gets thrown out there. And on most nights, Washington's second line is going to be better than your second or third line. It makes it a very tough matchup because as you whittle down the lineup, there's just, there's just talent in droves. And, you know, it's the whole argument of you'd much rather have, you know, it, having a top-heavy team is better than having no talent. But having a team spread or flush full of talent is always better than having a top-heavy team. The reality in the NHL is a guy like Ovechkin, he's only going to be able to play 20 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. So you got you got to fill in those minutes elsewhere, and Washington's done a really strong job with that. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Another piece you wrote on TSN.ca was about the Boston Bruins and how they could actually be a dark horse in these playoffs. We know they've been an analytical darling. They flourish when Patrice Bergeron and his line is on the ice. But goaltender Tuukka Rask has seen his 5-on-5 save percentage really drop off. Can the Bruins still be successful if Rask is average? So I, I think the answer to this is yes. Like I, really? I know that some Bruins fans are jaded with, with their team, but here's or have been at least at some points during this year. But here, here's what I would throw back to Bruins fans. Look, you have the best five-on-five team by pure shot differential in the league, and that's been true through the entire season. Like Boston has been number one consistently. That's always a good sign. Like That is a spot you want to be. If you're getting 54% of the shots, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. Mm-hmm. The second piece, and the reason why they've been so up and down in the standings, is for the first 30 or so games of the year, they couldn't buy a goal, they, could, they had no shooting percentage luck, and their goaltenders couldn't stop a shot. The shooting percentage stuff, not surprisingly, has totally dissipated and has reverted back to normal. Um, I think they're shooting 8.8, 8.7% um, in the last 25 games, which is a pretty high number, but again, it's a mark of like, this stuff is random, it'll, it'll sort itself out over time. So that now they're scoring goals. The last big piece is, do you want to bet on the goaltending? And I am always, I think more than a lot of people, I get gun-shy about good skating teams with bad goaltending. Like Even a team like Nashville, who I will fawn and drool over <laughs> um, as, a, as, a, as a team at even strength, like it, it's hard for me to bet on them because Pekka Rune has burned me so many times. Same true, Carolina is going to miss the playoffs again this year, if only because their goaltending is bad. True. And when you come back to Boston and it's like, well, how do I know that Tuukka Rask is going to turn it around? 
Well, I don't. But here's the difference between Tuka Rask and a Pekka Rene or a Cam Ward. Ward and Rene have been consistently average or subpar and have been trending in the wrong direction for five years now. Tuka Rask has had about a 40 to 50 rough game stretch. Um, and by the way, they've had no backup goaltending either this year. So Tuka Rask had a really bad 40 or 50 game stretch. But prior to that, He's had about eight seasons where he was arguably as good as anyone not named Henrik Lundqvist or Carey Price. So, I mean, like, this, do you, do you, the question I would throw out to Bruins fans is, do you think you have a goaltender who was so good for so long, randomly, just he, he can't stop any shots now? Or do you think it's possible that he's probably in a trough right now, and even if he's not the elite goaltender he once was, he'll still be okay or good. And if you say, no, I think he can be an okay goalie for our team, well, if you're going to give me average goaltending and one of the best five-on-five teams, like that automatically makes you a pretty scary playoff team, right? Yeah. Um, the, the big thing for the Bruins, the big thing for the Bruins, though, is you got to – I think they I think they will at this point, but you got to avoid Washington. Like you do not want to play Washington in the first round for the same reasons we talked about. Like you only have one Berger on the line. You don't have two of them. And, uh, and and truthfully, like if you're in the three seed, you're going to play a much more, you know, much inferior Ottawa team. So why would you not want to draw into that spot? Well, yeah, absolutely. Hey, you sold me on Boston. Okay. Now, last one for you here, Travis. <laughs> uh, end of the season, right? So some regular season awards. We've gone over a lot this year, back and forth on the Norris, the best defenseman in the NHL. Has Eric Carlson done enough to leapfrog Brent Burns, who's really cooled down with just two goals in his last 22 games? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, I think Eric Carlson will get a lot of votes, but I could, I could realistically see him finishing second, just like he did last year. And when we talked about this a few weeks ago, my, my position on this has been, look, they're both really deserving and I'm not going to slam Burns for cooling off because if I have to slam Burns for cooling off, then I also have to slam Carlson for having the first, you know, a quiet first 20 games of the year. So there are all these games are worth the same. Um, but the, the, the issue, I, I, if you were a Carlson voter, I think the biggest argument in support of him is, look, he, he does not play on that good of a hockey team. Like, Ottawa's okay. They've got some really interesting players. Mark Stone's fantastic. Mike Hoffman's fantastic. But you take Eric Carlson off that team, and they have no motor. They have no punch. They're not in the playoffs. Whereas a, a Brent Burns type, you take him off San Jose, San Jose's probably still humming along. So, like, I think that is the argument best in support of, of, of Carlson this year. But, again, I don't think – I think this year is a more interesting race in the sense that there are two deserving winners, whereas I, the whole reason why I think Carlson's also getting – he might get more vote than we think. I think some people kind of look back on last year is – I think we might have screwed this up, this Norris vote, right? Like, the, the Drew Doughty thing looked like it, – it, people joke about it being a career achievement award, but – it really did. Like he yeah. didn't really have a, any kind of argument to win that trophy over Carlson last year, and he did. And I think some people are kind of like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I maybe have gotten sick of Carlson winning, but you know now I feel bad because I feel like a less deserving guy is going to win it. So let me throw a vote to him this year. So I, I think it will be a pretty interesting race, but I still anticipate Burns being one. Well, Travis, that'll do it for season three. Thank you so much as always, week in and week out. You always bring it, buddy. Thanks so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour out a little booze in the streets tonight for the <laughs> show. Season 4, October. Yes! Best one yet coming up. Thanks, buddy.
Take care. <laughs> that is Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Get him on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Got a, our Twitter poll question up, our Integral Hockey Twitter poll. Integral Hockey, folks, offers the most technologically advanced composite hockey stick repair system on the market at a huge cost savings to parents and players with a lifetime warranty on repairs. With almost 100 locations, find the closest one will be easy at IntegralHockey.com. The question is, who is your NHL Stanley Cup favorite? Or you can tweet in your own. We have it. At uh, at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81, your options, Capitals, Blackhawks, Penguins, or Ducks. And again, you want somebody else? Just tweet us in. Your choice. Coming up after the break, I'll talk Maple Leafs, playoffs, and some NHL season awards with editor-in-chief of the Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle. Next on TSN Hockey Analytics, on TSN 1050, TSN 1200, and on iTunes. Here's Crosby, facing away in a pass from Gensel, goes to Siri, to Gensel, on front to Crosby, right there, back to Kim, Siri, shoots and scores, what a passing play by Sidney Crosby to get it to Siri, and he finishes, and the Penguins have the lead for, <laughs> this is unbelievable. Well, that's who the Maple Leafs will play Saturday night. The Pittsburgh Penguins, welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. TSN 1200 Ottawa. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. In our season finale show, as always, Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle, joins us. James, one more time, pal. How are you? Big finale, eh? This better be a good segment here. I hope so. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure, just like the Maple Leafs have on them. How about that for a sweet segue? Yes! I don't know if it is the same, but yeah. Yeah. Not, I think, yeah, I think the, uh, it's a little bit more at stake for the Maple Leafs. But how nervous, James, really should Leaf fans be about Toronto's chances of making the playoffs since they need two points one way or another over the next two games against Pittsburgh and Columbus? Last week when we talked, it was, yeah, yeah, they'll make it. Now it's uh, there's two games left. Yeah, well, the chances keep shrinking every day uh-huh. we go here. So they need two points. They've got two games left. Uh, it was interesting being down at the ACC this morning and, and seeing the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is a team that is loose as a goose. Like, you know, they they don't need this game. They're just having fun. So, And that can be a dangerous team to play. So I think we, I think fans should be a little bit nervous. I mean, the Leafs are going to have to lose out here, but that's a possibility against Pittsburgh and Columbus. Right, and especially when we don't have anything to look back on for most of these players on the May Leafs, right? Like with the youth, we we don't know. Mike Babcock said uh, the players should relish this opportunity. You play the game for reasons like this. But we, for veteran clubs, you can point back, okay, player X did this. For this team, we don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at a guy like Morgan Riley. This is probably the biggest NHL game. I mean, it is. Yeah, it's the yeah. biggest NHL game he's ever played, and... You can say that for more than half of, of the dressing room there. You know, a lot of these Leafs have never been that far. I was looking at this the other day. Uh, there's only eight Leafs that have played more games with the franchise than William Nylander, who, who's played 100 games. So, you know, it's they have a lot of guys that have not been with the Leafs very long. They have a lot of guys that haven't been in the league very long. And you're right. I mean, I don't think we really know quite yet what they're going to do in the, the pressure situations. Mitch Marner's been a, a big, big game player in junior hockey. Uh, Austin Matthews has done very, very well here down the stretch when they needed to win some games, but can they do it when they absolutely need them to do it? Uh, you know, we're going to see tonight. Now, when we look overall at the season, we know the success the Leafs have had and that they've really started to embrace analytics since Brendan Shanahan has took over. How much credit can we and should we point to fancy stats playing a role in the Leafs' accelerated rebuild? 
I think it's helped them. I think it's helped them a little bit for sure. Um, you know, I look at things like, uh, you know, some of the the draft picks that they've made. I wonder if they would have drafted William Nylander. I wonder about, you know, they picked Mitch Marner. They started going smaller, skilled players, uh, much more than the the Brian Burke and the Dave Nonis regime. You know, I remember when the uh, William Nylander draft. I think a lot of people thought they were going to take. Uh, I believe it was Nick Ritchie at the spot at eighth overall, uh, and they went Nylander. And I just I think that, that some of that was the influence of uh, the analytics team and Brendan Shanahan coming in at that point. Um, you know, he, I remember that, that first press conference when they, they hired Brendan Shanahan, and he said that he was reading about Corsi and Fenwick on the plane. Uh, so he went from really no knowledge at all to being someone now who I think understands it really, really well, and the Leafs have invested in having four staff that are analytics staff. You really see it. You see it in the style of play. You see it in the value they put on things like puck possession. Um, not, I don't think everyone in the Leafs front office is uh, an analytics disciple, but they, they've um, they, they've embraced it more than a lot of teams in the NHL. In conversation with James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. And guys, the weather's finally warming up, and it's the perfect time to get your roof repaired or a brand new one. That's why you need to go to my guys at Mega City Roofing. They put customer satisfaction and quality first for almost 20 years and are a four-time winner of Homestar's Best of Awards. Tom and his crew do the job right the first time. So trust your roof to Mega City Roofing. Check them out at megacityroofing.com. That's megacityroofing.com. James, let's get to some individual awards here since the regular season is set to wrap up. In the Hart Trophy consideration, likely down to Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid, who are you leaning towards? I think it's awfully close this year. So, you know, I lean towards Sidney Crosby just because he's going to have one of the most impressive NHL careers that we're going to see uh, certainly in our, in our lifetime. And uh, with the injuries and the concussions and broken jaw and everything, I think he's missed out on some of these awards and I think he deserves more than he's got right now. So the tie goes to the veteran in this case. And I think Connor McDavid's going to have a lot of these on his trophy shelf by the time he's done playing as well. So we know someone like Nikita Kucherov, he's not going to win the award this year, but should he be in the running for some third, fourth, or fifth place votes? And what do you make about his season? He's hit the 40-goal mark last night despite missing eight games. Well, I mean, he looked like a Hart Trophy candidate yeah, there on yeah. Thursday against the Leafs. Kucherov is a guy that I've been super, super high on for a long, long time. He is he's a superstar. He is, and he doesn't get talked about enough around the NHL, and I don't know if that's because he's with Tampa or... He's overshadowed by Hedman and, and, and Stamkos and some of the other guys he plays with. He, um, with with Tyler Johnson hurt and with Stamkos hurt, we've seen just how good he can be and how he can drive a line with a rookie as, as his centerman. You know, Kucherov is, uh, deserves his due, and that contract he's got is one of the biggest bargains in the league. And we talk about analytics. I mean, Kucherov has been one of the best possession players, not only one of the best goal scorers, but one of the best possession players in the Eastern Conference since he first broke into the league as part of that triplet line. So, you know, he's a he's a well-rounded player as well. And uh, it'd be nice to see him get talked about a little bit more. And it's I'm glad you brought him up today. Well, what about for Rookie of the Year, the, the Calder Trophy? Is, is Austin Matthews, in your mind right now, a lock. Could you make the argument to go with the Patrick Lyon or Zach Wierenski, uh to come away with the Rookie of the Year award instead of Austin Matthews? No, no, I don't. I've been on. I've been leaning towards Austin Matthews being the Calder Trophy winner since about fifteen or twenty games into the season. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anything that's changed my mind. Um, Austin Matthews is, uh, if you compare him to Patrick Laine, he's more a more well-rounded player. 
he's played with weaker line mates than I think Patrick Laine has with, with Shifley most of the year. Uh, if you're going to make an argument, I think the argument might be, should Zach Wierenski be second place behind hmm. uh, Austin Matthews as opposed to Patrick Laine? And I would buy that argument because Wierenski has had an unbelievable year for Columbus, and he's helped push them to be one of the best teams in the league. He's been their number one D in his rookie season. You know, I think that there could potentially be a debate there, but with what Austin Matthews has done, second in the NHL in goal scoring uh, through a lot of uh, the season, and uh, one away from getting his 40th and joining Kucherov at that mark at 19 years old, uh, playing with two other rookies, and potentially helping lead the Leafs to the playoffs. We'll see tonight. You know, I, I think Austin Matthews has done it all, and Sidney Crosby had some high praise for uh, for Austin Matthews today, and I think it was well-deserved. And James, finally for you here, looking ahead to the playoffs, give us a surprise team from each conference that you, you think might be poised to do some damage that we might be overlooking. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, on the Western side, I would pick Calgary. You know, they've been one of the hottest teams in the league the last 25, 30 games. Uh, fantastic defense. The goaltending has come around. Um, they're they're a dangerous team, and so they've got some young guys there that have played really really well as well. And Matthew Kachuk is is one of the guys that probably doesn't get talked about enough and got overshadowed a little bit with how well some of the other rookies have played. Uh, and on the eastern side, I like Boston. You know, I think Boston can do some damage, even though they're a team that's right there with Ottawa and Toronto in points. Most of that's because they've had a slow start and because Tuka Rask had a tough year. But I think the Bruins can upset uh, a really good team here in the playoffs. That'll be interesting. Going to be a fun ride. James, thank you very much again. Season three, you've been with us since day one, and you always do such a great job. So I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Andy. All right, that is James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto. Great follow on Twitter, at Myrtle. After the break, a look back at a couple highlight moments from the show over the past season. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, TSN 1200, and on iTunes. We're back. Season 3 finale of TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto, TSN 1200 Ottawa. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. Want to take a little bit of a look back. We had so many phenomenal guests this year. couple highlight moments that stood out to us. We'll go over through in this segment here. Florida Panthers assistant GM Steve Warrior and Eric Joyce. And this best of is brought to you by Integral Hockey. Folks, they offer the most technologically advanced composite hockey stick repair system on the market at a huge cost savings to parents and players. And it's done in an environmentally friendly way. Integral Hockey is also the only company offering a lifetime warranty on all stick repairs. With almost 100 locations, finding the closest one to you will be easy at IntegralHockey.com. Steve Warrior of the Florida Panthers starts us off on the Panthers' philosophy and use of analytics. Yeah, I, I think you know there's two parts, right? There's there's the, the stats and, and process that the management folks use, and then there's the stats that sometimes we react to uh, based on requests from our coaching staff. Um, so first, the stats that we use, it's just really, you know, it's it's not going to be very exciting. It's just it's part of the process, you know, and, and we look at we look at numbers as objective arbiters. Uh, to sometimes what can turn into, uh, you know, emotional arguments about certain players or characters or personalities, you know, the numbers are there as a check and balance. Uh, on the same side, though, you know, we look at what the scouts are saying about particular, um, 
know, particular players as, as it relates to our philosophy. It's really just a four-step, you know, kind of cycle that we go through every day. Honestly, it's, you know, who, how do we want to play to win hockey games in this league, which is an incredibly hard league to win games in? Who do we have on our roster that plays that way? Uh, who can we train, quote-unquote, train to play that way, whether they're on our team currently or in the minors? And then who do we think doesn't fit the current philosophy anymore? And then there's the three ways that we can try to acquire guys, right? The draft, uh, we can trade for guys or through free agency. Um, and then it comes down to, you know, kind of what Brian McCabe and Jordy Kinnear and, and the guys do in Springfield. It comes down to the, the development of the players. And so we, we go through that cycle every day. And, and numbers act as, again, the independent, kind of objective, cold, emotional arbiter to, you know, sometimes, you know, leanings towards one player or another that we all may have at one point. Um, you know, and then from the coaching perspective, you know, I think coaches are interested in, uh, you know, sort of tactical matchups that they may think that they, you know, they might be able to take advantage of based on something they're seeing on video or, uh, Etc. So they'll ask us to break down, you know, certain percentages and and, and things like that, and, and we'll do that and, and, and provide that to them. And it, and it may or may not add value based on, you know, the randomness that we all see in every hockey game. But you know, sometimes it gives them an edge, sometimes it doesn't. So it's again just an input into their game plan as they prepare for for every opponent. And Steve, that's uh, that's interesting because you have. Um, the broad view, which I think when, when the, the summer of analytics kind of kicked in and teams got into it, that's where it was kind of seen, all right, the, the overhead view using the advanced stats, but having it now m- more accessible on a, a daily or game-to-game basis is, uh, is pretty interesting and, and just goes for the uh, development of, of how far analytics has come. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I think one thing EJ and I really worked on, and we worked on it over the last little while with, with Dale and our scouts as well, and it, it's been really nice to see is sort of breaking down any any perceived barrier. I mean, you mentioned, you know, chatter and, and blog talk and that sort of thing, and you, you sometimes read about stats or scouts, is it stats and scouts and so on. And what we've really tried to do is to not differentiate, not really have any, any wall, so to speak. And to accomplish that, you know, it's always nice when – there's no siloed information. And when I mean, say that, I mean, you know, for example, we had a, a scouting meeting a while back where we were ranking a group of, uh, you know, goalies across the league, as every team does, um, you know, in, the, in their mid-year meetings. And I think one of our analysts, or Eric or I, brought up, uh, you know, something on the lines of, well, let's look at someone's even strength save percentage. And, you know, one of our scouts said, well, wait a minute, where, you know, where is that? How do you calculate that? What does it mean? And so on. And, you know, we sat with them. We said, listen, you can pull a lot of the stuff we're looking at off, off publicly available sites. Uh, you pull it off right here, actually. And from that point on, you know, that individual scout said, wow, you know what? I don't need to ask you guys every time I'm looking at this type of player for that sort of information. I can do it on my own. I can build it internally into my analysis and make it, you know, really seamless part of my process and make it something everyone has ownership over, which is you know, certainly a more efficient way of conducting things. Um, you know, I don't have much to add on to what EJ said. The only other piece really is, you know, from the from the cap side and player acquisition and contracts, we certainly look all the time at, you know, macro trends, which I guess count as analytics, um, you know, looking at where things are going cap-wise, what types of players and contract types are going to be becoming more expensive, which types of players and assets are going to be easier or harder to acquire if we don't draft them or if we need to go out and get them. Um, and that's certainly a big piece 
of our analysis, you know, especially both as our, uh, you know, our core players, like the ones we signed recently, like the Barkovs and the X-Lads, who, you know, Dale's drafted in recent years. And as those guys mature and take on bigger cap hits, it obviously becomes more and more important to add to them and, you know, supplement the roster with, with efficient, uh, you know, cost-friendly bets. So that's also a big piece of uh, what we do and where we try to improve every day. That was from earlier in Season 3 here on TSN Hockey Analytics with Florida Panthers assistant GM Steve Warrior and Eric Joyce. Next up, Drake Barahowski, a former first-round Maple Leaf draft pick, current head coach of Toronto's ECHL affiliate, the Orlando Solar Bears. And this Best Of is brought to you by Mega City Roofing. For almost 20 years, Mega City Roofing's Homestar award-winning customer service and quality has helped homeowners across the GTA. For your next new roof or repair, visit megacityroofing.com. That's megacityroofing.com. So, Drake, a friend of show, uh, he started by uh, telling us about on coaches using analytics and using stats during a game. It's wonderful to have the numbers in front of you. We go in at the end of every period and, you know, we want to hit certain benchmarks. And now I can measure that. And you can see the trend that when we win, we hit these certain certain goals. And, um, you know, the players are anxious to hear, too. They want to see how they're doing and, and uh, where they can improve. All the players will always want to improve. They always want to get better. So if you can help them by showing them numbers and have them buy in, uh, it, it makes my job easier as a coach. So do you find that period adjustments, like like during the break, that this gives you an advantage, being able to have these numbers, being able to go over specifics with your players? You know, hey, we have 20 shots, but too many are from the perimeter. We have to go, or whatever it might be. Do you find this gives you an advantage in the break adjustments going out for that next period? 100%, you know, and that's the the beauty of Stats Track is that – you know, it's it's live. It's up to the minute. It's uh, in real time. So when I go in, I I can see adjustments that we we have to make. I can see who our best faceoffs guys are. I can go to guys and say, oh, the wingers aren't jumping in to help out. We've got to be better. We've got to help the centermen out on draws. Or I can say to the centermen, we've got to be better. You guys are losing too many. So there's so many uh, things we use the tool for that uh, uh, the players want that feedback. They want to get better. And you know, it, it's interesting because players in, in all honesty and truth they want they want to get better so right. any kind of feedback you can give them uh, always helps so uh, Drake what we we've seen before like a few years back of course is uh, and up till very recently is the analytics data might be there but it's more for a tool afterwards or big picture or okay the next day in practice you're looking over these numbers where things happen with yours it's it fascinates me and, and going back to last year hearing about it that you can see all this Live, like you can, you can make like it, it. It just astounds me how much of an advantage this can be because you can you can make those adjustments instantaneously behind the bench in the locker room. You don't have to wait and learn later. You can do it immediately and on the go. Like I can only imagine how much of a benefit that can be. Oh, it's fantastic. It's done in real time. So that's the big advantage we have. And it's funny, everybody talks about video. Well, I think the analytics are going to become even even more popular. It's going to be your first tool that you turn to because you, 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 sometimes you come in and you're saying, okay, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do better? And if you look at the numbers, you can see, okay, we're not getting enough shots from the house. So you can go right to your video on on uh, those those parts of your game. So I think the numbers, like I said, they never lie. Um, if you have them in real time, this this allows you to go and watch what you need to in video, and that way you only have the 15 minutes in between periods. It allows you to utilize your time that much more effectively.
That was Drake Barahowski, ECHL head coach for the Orlando Solar Bears. He is uh, of the affiliates for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll take the break, wrap up Season 3 with Scott Cullen from TSN.ca with Heroes and Zeros and some more player awards for the 2016-2017 NHL season. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, TSN 1200, and on iTunes. A long rebound, Kudrup slides it out to center ice. Victor Hedman draws a penalty, but he's got a breakaway anyway. Hedman shoots, score! Victor Hedman on a breakaway! Eaters tried to chop it to the front of the net, but it ends up on the stick of Kelly. Kelly turns it over, score! Blake Wheeler jams it in. Back to wrap up Season 3 of TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto, TSN 1200 Ottawa on iTunes and SoundCloud. Get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. Let's bring in Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. They're terrific hockey Cullen. Scotty, one more time, buddy. How are you? All right, Andy. How are we doing on the finale? Doing good. Doing good. You're going to finish us off strong. I have to remind people as well, though, the radio portion ends. The video portion of Heroes and Zeros will continue on tsn.ca this Monday. So people can look forward to that at least, right? Well, you know, we got to give the, the people something. Exactly. All right, let's kick it off. It's time for the best, best. and worst of the NHL this week. Hockey Analytics Heroes and Zeros with Scott Cohen and Andy McNamara. Okay, Victor Hedman starts the heroes, Scotty. He does. The Tampa Bay Lightning have been quite a story, as, as we don't need to tell the people in Toronto. <laughs> um, and, look, the, them rising to the, uh, to the challenge, certainly it, some credit goes to fours like Nikita Kucherov and Andre Palat and, and Braden Point. They've done really great. But Victor Hedman has been a force for them. And, and he has been all year, but he's really been strong down the stretch. He has 28 points in his past 26 games. Of course, he ran 54% in that time. And, you know, the... The, the Corsi being great isn't unusual for Hedman. Going back to the start of the last season, he's around a 55% Corsi player. And, and in terms of relative, he's a plus 5.2. The only um, kind of big-minute defenseman who, who do better uh, is Anaheim's top pair, Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. And so, um, you know, the Lightning have always done better with Victor Hedman on the ice. Uh, and now he, he's added uh, point production to it because he has hit 70 points uh, for the first time in his career. And I, I think he's... Uh, a legitimate Norris Trophy finalist, given how, how well he's played uh, in, in trying circumstances this year in Tampa Bay. On to Blake Wheeler of the Jets, who's your next hero, rolling along on a nice seven-game point streak. Yeah, he uh, as the Jets are starting to win down the stretch when it doesn't necessarily matter so much for them. Um, <laughs> Clutch! He has ni- yeah, he has 19 <laughs> points in, the, in 12 games, and the Jets are 9-2-1. and one. Um, so, I mean, but look, Wheeler is, I, I think, a really quietly consistent player. Um, since the start of last season, he has 151 points. Uh, that ranks sixth in all of hockey. Uh, I don't think we, we consider Blake Wheeler at, at that level of, uh, uh, of player, but um, that's kind of, he's, he's been this quietly consistent, produ- uh, productive player for the Winnipeg Jets, and um, he's kind of really turned it on down the stretch as the Jets are winning uh, even after they were eliminated. From the best to the worst, now with the zeros, who's your first zero? Uh, Alex Galchenyuk of the Montreal Canadiens uh, has seemed to fall in the doghouse of, of his new coach. Uh, they shifted him uh, away from center back to left wing, but well, he has is, he is three points in his past 11 games, and only 15 shots on goal. His ice time is down, and this is you know kind of a disappointment because I think uh, there was plenty of criticism of Michelle Therrien uh, for how he handled Alex Galchenyuk. I mean, 
didn't give him enough ice time, didn't uh, play him at center soon enough, and so on. Like there, there's mounting criticism there. But then when a new coach comes in and he's not too fond of Alex Galchenyuk either, um, it's a little disappointing. And, it, and it's a, a bit of a problem for the Habs because Galchenyuk's one of their uh, more skilled forwards that they kind of need him to be um, leading the offense as opposed to some guy that they're you know, hope, hoping can do something from their third line. Well, and Cody, he can polishes off the zeros <laughs> just one point since February 24th. That's right. One Ooh. assist in 20 games. Now, now that sounds bad, but I, I have more to make this sound, oh. sound worse for Cody Aiken. His primary line mate this season in Dallas has been Jamie Benn. Oh, boy. Like, it, he, has, he has scored three goals in 59 games, and he's been playing with <laughs> Jamie Benn. Wow. Like, I, I don't know how, how you can uh, kind of justify, A, getting that ice time, like he's that 20 game stretch where he has one point, he's averaging almost 18 minutes of ice time per game and you know, no goals, one assist. It's uh it's been an ugly, ugly season for uh, Cody Aiken in Dallas, but it's, it's made all the worse because of the opportunity that he's been afforded. Uh, and he's kind of coughed it up. All right. That was heroes in zero. Scotty, let's get into some NHL season awards here. And of course, Hey, the, the favorite of the analytics crowd is the Selkie trophy, right? For best defensive forward on say Kopitar is the reigning champ. Who do you think are going to be the, the, the finalists and win it this year? Well, I, I think, look, I, I think every year you could hand it to Patrice yeah, Bergeron, yeah. and I and I'm I'm handing it back to him this year. I think he can let Andre Kopitar borrow it for a year. But <laughs> uh, look, Bergeron, he plays the tough minutes, and the and the Bruins always dominate with him on the ice. And you know, you can, um, you know, there's certainly credit due to his line mates, you know, Brad Marchand and. Uh, um, and and whether they have David Backus or, uh, oh, what's his name? playing up there anyway uh that it's not just bergeron doing it but it, it's always bergeron who lifts his guys makes it better it's david right. pasternak who i was looking for um and, and so look bergeron has these exceptional numbers and he has them every year well look at the, the way that line has been performing for the bruins this year there's no reason not to give to patrice bergeron uh i look at some possible finalists uh i think i think andrew cogliano uh, in Anaheim, okay. you can look at that line that they have with with Kessler and Silverberg. They do a tremendous job um, with a similar kind of workload, where they're the ones who are facing the tough uh, matchup assignments, starting in the defensive zone. And Cogliano, um, you know, the Iron Man, but he's also uh, exceptional at, at uh, uh, pushing play this year. Um, and I, I think one of the, a guy who's a veteran, uh, and, and I know the Wild uh, have been sort of lobbying for him to be considered, but I think Miko Koivu. Um, is a, a viable candidate because you know he he has sort of the same workload as these guys um, has had a, a pretty productive season offensively but also drives play and you know there I mean there are a few guys who um, who are more famous right and they say Andre Kopitar is one Jonathan Taves is one and and they don't necessarily have uh, they're not fighting uphill quite as much as some of these other centers right um, right like the like Kopitar doesn't get you know buried in the defensive zone off his zone starts, and and so I kind of look to to some of those guys. Like you could look to Michael Backlund in in Calgary's another guy who um, gets tougher assignments to do that. Um, and and you know if if we're looking at other kind of famous guys, I think um, Nicholas Backstrom of the Capitals is a guy who you know probably gets overlooked in terms of. Um, his Selkie qualifications because he's such a big scorer. I mean, he's a point per game guy, uh, but uh, they don't, the, the Capitals tend to, to 
give Evgeny Kuznetsov a little bit more protection in terms of faceoffs. So it's Backstrom who's who starts a little bit more in the defensive zone, and he always gets uh, the hard matchups. Like when they played Pittsburgh, go back to last year's playoffs, uh, he matched up head to head against Crosby, um, and that's you know that's the kind of thing that that Backstrom does and, and tends to succeed while doing it. And so. Um, you know, as you say, the the Selkie Award is is one for the analytics crowd, <laughs> um, and and so I you know I, I could I could run through a dozen guys who, who I think are uh, worthy of consideration, but it's it's Patrice Bergeron's award to lose until his play drops off. And I'm sure coming up soon on TSN.ca, you'll have your full season awards as you usually do, right? Absolutely, we'll, we'll have that. I, I mean, there's going to be an onslaught of articles coming in the next yeah. few days. <laughs> Excellent. You will be busy. And again, Monday afternoon, we'll have our video edition of Heroes and Zeros. New names, new heroes, new zeros. Uh, that'll come Monday afternoon on TSN.ca. Scotty, great work as always this season. Always appreciate you taking the time. I love doing it. Thanks a lot, Andy. All right. That is Scott Collin from TSN.ca. Get him on Twitter, at TSN. Scott Collin. Well, folks, that's the end for Season Three. Big thanks to all the hard work all season long from Joe Narsa and Grady Sass behind the glass. Our terrific weekly regulars, Travis Yost, James Merle, and Scott Cullen. And of course, to all of you, all the listeners, you guys are amazing. The support is always appreciated. Make sure to get us on Twitter, at TSN Analytics. And uh, hey, we're still going to have some great analytics content for you on Twitter there. So uh, that'll do it. So I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics. Enjoy the playoffs, folks.